The sun shined right through the cheap motel drapes at 5.45 a.m. It was like a fireball of truth filled the room. I had just left my wife, my family, everything in Arkansas. What had I done? What was I thinking? I searched for my keys but quickly remembered I got to Nashville without them. And my truck was currently located at a discount repair shop in West Tennessee somewhere. I still needed to save money to get it fixed, and so far that didn't look like it was going to happen anytime soon. I slowly slid out of bed and opened the curtain to look out at the Nashville skyline in the distance. I enjoyed its simple beauty for a minute, thinking about how everyone who was anyone in this town was sharing the same view. Suddenly, despair and doubt overtook me. I could barely breathe and almost bent over from the embarrassment I felt. The only thing I could do to feel better, I thought, was go back to Jonesboro. Everything would be just how I left it. I would just hitchhike back home and beg my wife Stephanie for forgiveness. I tried to drown out my thoughts by turning on the radio. I listened to one song, then two, then at the end of the third, I picked up the phone and started dialing Stephanie's number. As I turned the dial, the song that inspired my snap decision to move to Nashville came on. I let the first few seconds of Should Have Been a Cowboy play before turning it. Then I heard it again, the same song on a different station. The timing was just too perfect to ignore. The hand I thought I could feel guiding me along was now a fully formed figure standing in the room with me. I recommitted to my plan. Aspiring country stars, like everybody else, need roofs over their heads. So before I got the ball rolling on my singing career, I needed to find a job. Working the belt machine at the tire plant only barely let us make ends meet. I needed money, and I needed it fast, or I'd be on the street by the end of the week. I knew little about Nashville. I had visited once for fanfare, the country music festival held downtown every year. I knew the record labels were on Music Row, but Broadway was where the action was. It's where the tourists with their fanny packs and their newly purchased cowboy hats and boots come to party and take in the country music scene. That's where I decided to start. As I walked down the hill toward Broadway, I passed by people heading to their office jobs, in their suits and ties and nice cars. I tried not to think too much of what they thought of me. A grown man in an old t-shirt dirty jeans, and worn-out white sneakers, obviously with nowhere to be. Broadway was relatively quiet. The bars were barely getting into their day, so I figured it was the perfect time to pop in and beg for work. My first stop was Tootsie's, a historic Nashville bar that had been around since the 60s. It was located next to the legendary Ryman Auditorium, the early home of the Grand Ole Opry. For 30 years or so, Country legends had hopped over to grab a beer after playing a show at the Mother Church of Country Music. I opened the big heavy door, found a manager, a balding man with a beer gut the size of four basketballs, in his late fifties, and I went into my pitch. I'm new in town, and I need a job, willing to take anything you got. With zero hesitation, he told me they weren't hiring, and wouldn't be for a while. Apparently, 
There was a very long list of wannabe singers willing to wash dishes in Tan Bar. It was on to the next place. Just down the street from Tootsie's was Robert's Three Doors Down. Before I could get out the third word of my pitch, I was rejected again. They didn't even look up from the counter they were cleaning. A foot in the door was one thing, but even getting a toe in seemed like it might be near impossible. Doubt started rearing its ugly head again. Go. Back. Home. What am I doing? What's wrong with me? From there, I went from bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant, looking for work. It was one no or hell no after the other. The situation was grim. The more no's I heard, the more I noticed the desperate faces on Broadway. Everyone was trying to make it, and most weren't even close. After spending the entire morning downtown, I gave up. With blistered feet and a broken ego, I decided it was time to head back to my motel. I thought the gods would be more giving tomorrow. They had to be, or I was in trouble. As I walked up the hill, the sunshine right into my eyes. I had my polarized Oakley sunglasses on, but it was almost impossible to see. Since it was dinner time, and I had no food in my room, I decided to give my retinas a break and look around for a cheap bite to eat before heading back. A half a mile into my walk, I spotted a place called Don Seafood. I didn't care if it was a fish place in the middle of a landlocked state. I was hungry, and it was the only restaurant around. When I was about ten feet from the entrance, a young guy came screaming out the front door. He was wide-eyed and had matted, greasy hair, and it didn't seem like his clothes had been washed in weeks. I watched in shock as he hopped into his Thunderbird and squealed tires out of the parking lot. Jonesboro was a quiet, boring town. I had witnessed only a few scenes like this one. The door was flung open by a tall, middle-aged man with dark hair, a pencil-thin mustache, and an eye patch. Oh, don't mind him. Just some crazy guy. He does that everywhere. He held the door open as I walked into the restaurant. Thank you. My pleasure. It was moderately busy. There was a big bar with a big ship wheel hanging over it. A strange sight for a city like Nashville. Besides that, it didn't look anything like a seafood place, more like a cave with its narrow rooms and dark wood paneling. I quickly found out, by way of photos on the wall, the man who opened the front door for me was Don's son, Paul. The place seemed like it had seen better days, the early 1980s. On every wall, there were photos of the two men, Don and Paul, father and son, with country stars from that time. There was Ronnie Millsap, the Oak Ridge Boys, Larry Gatlin, Kathy Matea, Byrne Gosden, and Crystal Gale, as well as 50 other no-name people no one outside of Nashville had ever heard of. As a country boy from the middle of Arkansas who didn't know any better, I felt like I was smack dab in the middle of the country music universe. I tried to hide my excitement as I sat at the bar and ordered the cheapest thing from the menu, fried fish and french fries. The bartender started making small talk. I eventually told him why I was in town, to become the next big thing in country music. I also let it slip that I was broke and I needed a job as soon as possible, or I would be out on the streets. As soon as I said the word job, Paul, who was talking up a cute blonde patron, 
perked up and ran over to tell me he happened to be looking for a dishwasher. And if I wanted the job, it was mine. Just like that. No interview, just an offer. I pretended to think about it for a second, not wanting to seem desperate, and, in my disbelief, glanced over at the bartender. She had a very strange look in her eyes, like she was trying to tell me something. I looked back at Paul and accepted, without even asking the pay. He told me I could start that night. Jimmy Chase had a job after only 24 hours in Nashville. After I finished my meal, I ran back to my motel to change clothes. About two blocks away, I saw her. Stephanie, my wife of 12 years, sitting on the ground in front of my room. I watched her for a moment, then slowly turned around and headed back to Don's. I would start work in the same clothes I started the day in. You just listened to Nashville 93, a story heard production. For more info or to find out how you can support the show, please visit storyheard.com.